0: Welcome to the Wire invest Podcast with me, Doug Barnett, Portfolio Manager at Waverton. In one of the first podcasts I recorded, I spoke to the great global technology investor, William DeGale, and something he said has really stuck with me. That is, the companies that are winning are the ones that are looking and feeling more like technology companies. They are using technology to disrupt their industry. Now for anyone who used to organise side football after work, or indeed try and book a tennis court, knows only too well how much of a headache this was. It involved multiple phone calls with schools or local councils, lots of time on hold, and very often clunky payment systems. Enter stage left my guest this week. His name's Jamie Fole. He's the co-founder of Playfinder, which is an online booking platform for local sports facilities here in the UK. And in my view, this epitomizes the idea of using technology to disrupt actually quite clunky processes. Uh, it's a superb company. It's completed multiple rounds of financing. Um, we discuss the problems that he and his partner were trying to solve, the challenges that he faced both on the funding and operational side of the business, especially over the last year of lockdown when sport was basically banned. Um, Jamie was great he made me incredibly excited about the prospect of life after lockdown. The future is bright for outdoor sport. Do check out their website at playfinder.com. But without further ado, this is the Why Invest podcast. Jamie Fowle, welcome to the podcast. Jamie, why did you start Playfinder, or my local pitch as it was back then? Uh, And what problem were you trying to solve?
1: Hi, Doug. Uh, Great to be on. Uh, So we we first started Playfinder as you say, called My Local Pitch back then because we were playing sport in London after university, wanting to keep up quite an active lifestyle um, while maintaining a kind of busy working life. And we just found it really, really difficult time after time booking a, a simple football pitch or a tennis court. And it really sucked the life out of organising these games and really kind of demotivated us and our team. And So we realised we're finding this problem, and we knew anecdotally a lot of other people were as well, that it's really creating a, a, a kind of blocker to people playing sport. And so by creating a, a marketplace that would allow people to find and book sports facilities more easily, you would not only create um, something that was hugely in demand, but also help drive up sports participation, which we really felt was a, a kind of a business for good and, and something that we were really keen to do.
0: So just outline what what Playfinder does and what the problem it's trying to solve and what, what did you have to do to book a pitch perhaps before Playfinder?
1: Yeah, sure. So before you um, search on, on Google, usually uh, football pitch in my local area, Uh, and uh, you'd usually come across a council site. It would have a phone number, maybe an email address if you were lucky. Uh, You'd give that a call and probably never get a call back or an email back. And the the problem really from a macro perspective is you've got 30,000 different operators of sports facilities in the UK, about 130,000 facilities themselves. And so you've got a hugely fragmented market and no standard way of booking them. So the way we're trying to solve that is by uh, aggregating the availability of all of those and just making them easier to book online.
0: I see. And how has that, that sort of purpose changed as you start? So you started, and I know your, your interest, Jamie, was, was football. Um, but the scope has has broadened quite considerably since that point, so how does the purpose how, how has that purpose changed since when you started to now
1: yeah exactly we We did start off with football that was our main problem, and uh, we recognize there's also the the number one sport in the u k um and then when we were speaking to the operators of sports facilities, whether they're councils or schools or leisure centers. Uh we, we we found that there's a huge appetite for us to promote other facilities as well, like tennis courts, squash courts, badminton courts. And now we've grown to twenty-one different sports. We actually have also included e-sports and uh we've seen that there's a growing appetite for people to you know find somewhere to you know just play a whole range of different activities. We um look to kind of integrate with their with their software uh and Usually, that's done with another marketplace via something called an API integration uh so you integrate into their software, get their availability, and then uh, make the booking through that API
0: what do you feel, what's the kind of difficult bit in this is it the the software that you're building, or is it you know getting sort of cajoling the councils and and the various um, mm. um sports um arenas? Um, to get onto your platform? Where do you find the sort of hard part of your business?
1: Yeah, so when we started, we thought we could uh, integrate with the existing software out there in the same way that someone like a Skyscanner does for flights and Trainline does for trains. Uh, The the difficult thing we found was just accessing the the inventory that's contained within these booking systems. And actually, even if the um, uh, operator has a booking system, uh it might not be accessible indeed about 65% of operators don't even have a booking system so they just use a paper diary or an excel sheet so it's really getting that inventory and being able to put it on playfinder and as we started the business we thought that we would be able to do that we quickly learned that uh it was going to be much uh, a much bigger challenge and so we slightly evolved our offering to bring on a, a kind of SaaS element. So we've created our own booking system called BookTech. Uh, and that is provided to those venues, those 65% of venues that don't currently have a system already.
0: And then so does BookTech plug into your system pretty well?
1: Yes, exactly. So BookTech does set as an independent system, but it plugs into PlayFinder. So a venue will use BookTech, and that will send the availability, uh, the inventory over to PlayFinder and. a Consumer will book online through Playfinder.
0: Mm. so to me, I mean, this business sounds like a win-win for both. It's a win for the um, sports facilities because it's an easier way of booking there um, or using their facilities, um, and then it's also a win for the consumer because um, you know it's much easier. As you say, it's the problem that you're solving is that you know for people who are very busy and can't don't have time to spend hours on the phone, um, it makes their life easier on the booking side. So. Where where's the sort of competition and and where's the um you know who are you up against?
1: Yeah, so we're funny enough. We've always seen really the the biggest barrier to growth is not other competitors, but um, it's just the ability for the market to adopt new technology. And the grassroots space has always been quite slow to move, and so um, being able to bring on and introduce technology. Uh, to these venues has been a bit of a challenge, so that's definitely been our, our, our kind of biggest focus. And you know, the way that the world is going at the moment, people are, are you know, definitely focusing more on digital transformation. And the coronavirus pandemic has certainly accelerated that. Um, and the you know focus for us is just making sure that we can ride that wave and and be able to provide the systems that people people really need to. To bring on uh, digital technology.
0: Mm. Well, we may come back to the coronavirus uh, pandemic, but going back, and it, it was um, a few years back now. But going back to the the sort of expansion stage and the fundraising stage, how did you um, first of all? How did you approach looking for capital for your business? Um, and then, secondly, how did you um, manage that process of of um, raising capital? But but also sort of keeping the plates spinning on the operation side of your business?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I, I set the business up with my co-founder, Samford, uh, and we've always had uh, a pretty good symbiotic relationship where I've managed a lot of the day-to-day operations and Samford's really helped with the fundraising. And so in the, in the, in the early days and, and still today, we, we loosely divide our responsibilities along those lines. I very much am involved in the fundraising process and it's, it's very much helpful for, um, you know, the operations to be at the, the kind of forefront of a raise because what you're doing on the ground really, you know, tells a story when you're raising raising finance. Um, our, our initial days was just raising through friends and families and then we grew to raising from angels and we've tried to quite clearly define who to raise from and where the best routes are and, um, you know... Certainly, at the moment, we're looking uh, at more EIS and VCT funds, we've grown to that kind of level. But fundraising in the early days is, you know, much, uh, it's made much easier by the tax incentives like SEIS, and Mm -hmm. later EIS. And that's just a phenomenal tool to be able to use as an early stage company getting off the ground.
0: Maybe can you talk me through the difference between approaching sort of friends and family, which is, is daunting for sure. Um, and then, like the next stage, where you go out to sort of angel investors, um, is there a, is there a sort of difference in process? And and you know, how did you change your approach?
1: Yeah, so I think um, in the very early days, um, raising uh, the first hundred and fifty thousand through SEIS. People are obviously benefiting from huge uh, tax, dis- tax discounts, and while um, you do certainly need to make your case for growth, you're generally at a stage where you don't have the performance to to go on. It's all about the potential. As you mature as a business, you certainly then have to become a lot more data driven. Uh, we've always been quite lucky as a business because we've always had a case where demand far outstrips the supply, and so. Being able to show the demand for our service has never been an issue. Uh, it's just about how we access that supply, and there are definite, you know, stories that um, we've had over the, the years that we've been able to show how we've been able to unlock that supply. And I think when it comes to fundraising, uh, one often looks at, you know, what, what what is the story? What why have you earned the right to go and raise another round of finance? Can you give an example? Yeah, so we. Uh, re- we uh, recently launched a, a booking system uh, called BookTech, and, and that was uh, after a year of development. And to fund that development, we really had to prove that there was a demand for, for, for building the system, for investing hundreds of thousands into building it. And, uh, and that really came from winning a, a, a tender with the Football Foundation, who are the um, largest investor into building new sports facilities in, in England. And having won that tender to provide technology, we then had the confidence to raise the money uh, and go out and build the system, which we, we launched in September.
0: And how hands on have they been? And, and both, again, sort of friends and family versus versus your, your angels. How hands on and prescriptive have they been with setting milestones and things?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, again, as you mature, you take on uh, a greater responsibility to perform. Uh, and, you know, thankfully, we've uh, we've generally been able to meet those expectations. But um, people become a lot more analytical and they often say that investors are in the U.S. are dreamers, whereas in the U.K. are, are accountants. And that's something that I've found ring true. I, I find as you build up your investor base, some are very happy to be passive and it's great to have them on board. Um, and some are, are more likely to be more active, and especially those within the investment space. And we've taken on some, you know, fairly uh, experienced investors, either in private equity or their own funds or, or something similar. And those have been really helpful to us because they've helped contextualize how we need to build equity value, uh, how we need to grow the business from a kind of corporate perspective, as well as the kind of day-to-day operations. And I think mm-hmm. as a business grows there are just fundamental building blocks that you need in place and you know it's the experienced investors who can
0: uh
1: experienced investors can give you that context
0: so can you give an example then of those fundamental building blocks at sort of corporate level rather than sort of operational level
1: yeah so i think as a business we we've always known we're a business for good um you know helping people play sport filling spare capacity uh is certainly a a kind of um uh, a purpose that you know when you go into work, you know you 're doing something that um, is for the greater good, and actually being able to crystallize that within our story and and show people that this is a business that, as well as driving just bookings, actually helps people lead healthier, happier lives. Um, people often talk about the the why of a business, not just the what, and I think what we 're doing really has a social value that on a corporate level plays very well because people want to get involved in businesses that have that value. And in terms of the, the kind of macro space, the, the, the wider um, you know, uh, uh, industry and, and how the government treats sport, uh, we very much have a big part to play because we're in introducing a technology that help people play more sport.
0: Jamie, 2020 must have been a, a crazy year for you in the sense that um, half the, the country was in lockdown um, when it wasn't in lockdown um there were heavy restrictions on meeting people for um to play for and sporting activities, et cetera. How has that um affected your business? Um and you know, how patient have your supporters and your corporate investors, but then also your your clients and operators?
1: Yeah, I, I found it's quite it quite funny that, you know, period um in February, March and Beginning of April of 2020 is a, a little bit like musical chairs, wasn't it? Where you know everyone's rushing around manically, kind of like getting on with their own thing, and then suddenly you have this un- unbelievable situation that um, just affected everyone uh, descend upon us, and it, and it really made you kind of. It's a bit of a freeze frame moment where it made you realise exactly where you were, and um, and you know all the conversations that we had around that time. You know at times it was it was difficult, and we had to make some difficult decisions but uh actually, it really helped us you know come back to what the you know the core purpose of the company was and the value that we provide our operators the value that we provide uh our our customers and um the value we provide shareholders and I think by really honing in on that, we were able to you know build and maintain our support uh within those groups. And everyone's been incredibly patient and just been really uh, understanding and really supportive. And you know where we're looking at the moment is ahead to a point where we're just going to get a phenomenal bounce of um, of consumer demand for what we do. We actually had our, our busiest ever month in terms of users visiting the platform uh, in September, uh, and that was with still some you know restrictions in place and a very limited number of facilities open. Um, and so everyone knows that coming out of this, we're going to be in a really great place. And actually, people's appetite for sport has never been bigger. Uh, and I think as a result, we, we've uh, we've kept the support of of everyone. And I think in the industry, I've just found a phenomenal level of collaboration and people helping each other out and having conversations they wouldn't normally have. And that's actually led to some really interesting things ourselves as well.
0: I'm sure I'm speaking for other people here when I said desperate to get out there again. Um, it, during the sort of lockdown months, and we are, what are we, in halfway through February now. And so we've been locked down really since Christmas. How have you been spending your time? What have you been doing? Yeah,
1: so uh, we've certainly, you know, with sports facilities having been closed for kind of four or five of the last 12 months, um, there, there's been quite a lot of changes on how we're uh, operating. And you know some flexible furlough at the moment which' has been incredibly helpful, but the one thing we have maintained throughout is a development team and you know we we had a remote working policy for developers before um the pandemic um since we built our first in-house team uh, and so we were really uh, in a good place when it came to software development, and it's been the one thing that's been totally unaffected um uh, by the by the pandemic so uh, our policy and our, our thinking when we went into this was you know, just try and come out of it in a stronger position. And the two real drivers to that are creating new partnerships with venues, which we've been able to do in a way that we actually could have never imagined, and also continually improving the technology and um, building better better software and a better marketplace. And so we've been able to do that as well. with coming out of um, the pandemic with a new booking system and it's performing extremely well, and I think it's benefited from uh, the developers just having that space to really focus all their efforts on it
0: mm-hmm. And what do you see when you and your your partner Sanford are sort of looking at the sky? Um, what do you see the sort of is the sort of upside opportunity to playfinder? What's the sort of total addressable market as you see it? Um, do you want all sports clubs to be on your platform? and for all sports players to be to booking through it. And what does that look like if you can get there?
1: Yeah, so as a service, we are actually very agnostic to the type of venue, uh, which does open up the entire market. But I'd certainly be a fool to expect us to be able to integrate with every venue or provide software to every venue. So that's very much not, uh, you know, but we're hoping to build a marketplace that I feel can uh, have the same reach and scope as something like a train line. Uh, and and play a part and really integrate into the national infrastructure, but I do think also that and it comes back to you know a question you asked earlier about raising finance. Um, you know the the grassroots sports industry is one that there is phenomenal opportunity to unlock and and uh, provide uh, you know digital transformation to, uh, but it's also one that you can't you know predict uh, growth. You know it'd be hard to say. We'll go and do a delivery on the industry and, um, sell to, you know, every, every venue within the next three years. And, and I think for that, for, you know, on that basis, it, it does inform how you develop the company, how you, how you raise money, who you raise money from. And, and so it's, it's helped us, you know, taking a measured and, and cautious view about how we can grow in the market has helped us inform how we develop the com- company and, and raise finance.
0: Where do you think the value lies? And I suppose it sort of goes back to my question on like, what's the difficult bit? Do you think the value lies in, in, in sort of land grabbing? And I think I use that word quite carefully, because it sounds like you're not aggressively growing for the sake of growing. But is the value in being the platform to go to the platform that everyone uses? So a sort of network effect, if you like? Um, or is it more sort of nuanced in like the technology, a superior technology proposition? Where where do you see the value of your business?
1: Yeah, I think to to be able to um, grow to as many venues as possible is without a doubt our our ambition. Um, and the network effect you've mentioned is an interesting one because uh, when we do get a good coverage within a local area, we very much get the, the situation of... of all boats rise at the same time, and so by taking a, an approach where we 're focusing on populated cities so we 're currently in uh, sixty four towns and cities uh, in the uk at the moment, but really focusing on on some of the key key markets where uh, you can have the biggest effect that 's the strategy at the moment and as we grow, I think uh, our reach will extend and um, you know I do totally see that we provide a a, a solution for every sports player and every sports venue in the country. Um, but it's, uh, it's focusing on, on the key markets and the areas that we know we can have the biggest impact that uh, is the most, most important thing for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Can I ask about, and we, well, I don't have it in front of me, can I ask about the user interface and how, how it actually works and how if I have a group of friends, let's say you know, there are 10 of us and we want to book a, book a pitch, Are we all linked? Can we all link in and um, like book it together, as it were, and sort of split the cost, or what? How how does that actually sort of work from a technical standpoint?
1: Yeah, so from a tech standpoint, what we do is uh, we have the consumer marketplace of uh, Playfinder, which brings in the availability data from different booking systems, whether it's Booktech or another booking system, Uh, and then we have uh, the industry first search by time, so. By getting all the inventory from the different booking systems, we're able to enable a user to come on, search for a specific date and time, uh, and then they are able to see what options they have within their local area. I kind of go back to that fragmentation of the market where, you know, within a local area like Islington, there's somewhere we have 100% um, reach over, and you've got six different types of operator there. So by... Uh, aggregating the um, uh, the local market, we can show a user what's available, the specific times, and then they go and, and book online.
0: You have must have the most amazing insight into growing sports and growing trends. Are there any sports out of your twenty one that are on that are that are sort of unnoticeably growing yeah. in a meaningful way?
1: Yeah. So uh, certainly through the last year, racket sports have been huge. You know, outdoor tennis in particular, has benefited really well from, you know, an increased demand. Uh, before the pandemic struck, uh, we actually saw uh, some of the more like broken down recreational formats of games. So five-side football has been growing strongly, even though the the numbers don't show that because the the type of players aren't affiliated. But we have a really good view onto, into recreational football and can see that that's growing very strongly. Uh, and then if you look at areas like paddle tennis, uh, which is kind of less uh, technically demanding as uh, tennis, but, you know, it's just uh, become incredibly popular and people are uh, building paddle courts left, right and centre at the
0: moment. Uh, that's definitely a sport on the up. Do you do um, requests? So, you know, if people say that I want to be able to book, I don't know, I want to go and book a bowls green, would you be able to facilitate that and try and get in with the sort of local bowls? community
1: yeah we i mean we've done some quite funny sports in our time we actually for a, for a short time did um quidditch because quidditch during a particular last <laughs> <laughs> uh became quite a um uh a niche sport that had a i think a fairly temporary rise to fame generally what we look at is, is sports where you do have a uh you know fairly consistent level of supply so there, there, there are en- enough venues that we can we can aggregate, um, and uh, and so we we have looked at some of the more um, new sports, and occasionally do do bring them on. I think when you see people getting into sport like paddle tennis recently, you know you just got to react quite quickly, bring them on, and maybe it won't last forever, and maybe it will. So there's a little bit of um, just light fittedness that's um, required in, in those cases.
0: Mm-hmm. Can I ask about um, your competition and, and perhaps your, um, I know you, there is no such thing as competition in, in the UK at the moment, but are, in, in other countries, are there other similar platforms that you would like to sort of emulate um, or, or companies that you sort of look up to and, and, and sort of share values with? Yeah, it's
1: it's a funny one. I think no, no one company has really nailed it yet um, within the uh, sports landscape we've carved out a bit of a niche in the sports landscape um uh, because you have fitness app operators like classpass uh move GB in the uk that have done phenomenally well um and I've, I've always been admiring uh of of them in in, in many ways um, uh, within europe uh there there is a, a similar level of fragmentation within the, the the providers market and you do have some really interesting companies coming Coming up in Sweden and Austria and in, in, in Spain, there are some good examples of companies that have really focused on one particular thing, whether it's paddle tennis in in Spain, indoor football in, in in Sweden. But it's a funny one because there's no one has absolutely nailed what we're doing yet, and I think the reason for that is uh, because being able to provide good technology at a decent cost has uh, been something that's been you know actually relatively relatively new um the the cost of kind of software has been decreasing and so uh, as that happens that allows uh, some of the more independent sports venues to adopt technology that they might not have done before because it is too expensive and so i think along with that the kind of all governments focusing on public health and incentivizing ways to drive public health you know that's leading to a bit bit of a catalyst in the market and, and we are seeing that there are services, you know, popping up that are suddenly growing quite quickly. And I you know, feel we're, we're one of those, with the kind of best example in the UK
0: at the moment uh, when you're looking at sports. And so looking to the future and perhaps beyond the, the lockdown and actually beyond that, um, what sort of big capital allocation decisions do you sort of think you've got ahead of you? Um, are you going to have to spend more on, on software developers? Are you going to have to spend more on, on people? where do you think the um in the next sort of 18 24 months you're going to be spending your 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 capital and then second second question really to that is you know where, if are you going to have to go to the market again and, and look to raise
1: yeah so um in terms of where we're looking to invest our kind of time i think um software development will continue but having recently launched our, our new system um you know we, we we have a we have a product that works well uh, and is well tested as being adopted in, in in high numbers at the moment. So thankfully, that major bit of investment is behind us. I I do, I do see um, the way businesses evolve uh, as as in stages, and you know our real stage of heavy investment in technology is 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 largely behind us. We'll maintain an in-house team, um, but I do think now it's about you know business development about sales uh building the brand. Um, you know, we we, we relaunched a Playfinder in twenty nineteen. Uh and we're really only at the beginning of of building the brand to being nationally recognized and I'm really excited about what's what's to come there. So yeah, it's very much expansion, um, growing the number of of venues, um, trying to get to our kind of target target level of venues, and and I think that's where we're gonna be really focusing. Uh, in terms of capital raising, well, we we were quite fortunate just before lockdown to have, uh, the first lockdown to raise around, including on CrowdCube. We are looking to go out again at some point this year. Um, we've, we've built a really good story. We're actually in a in a in a great place in terms of the new new operators we've brought on board. Um, so uh, while there isn't uh, a huge rush, and we're keen to you know get the the the, the landscape for people. Playing sport you know relatively back to normal um, I think we'll 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 look to do that um, and we've had uh, a lot of interest uh, from people over um the last year or so who who see the value and we had a term sheet from a VCT recently that we might we might revisit so um we'll we'll see how we go, but I think um it'll be an interesting um uh, time to see how the the fundraising landscape is has changed um and what that looks like. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Go for
0: it. About your experience on um uh raising money through CrowdCube, so the crowdfunding platform. Yeah. Um what was the what was the sort of process and what did you sort of learn from it?
1: Yeah, so we um we we rebranded from my local pitch playfinder in, in twenty nineteen and that was an amazing process to go through. We we did it as we recognized that you know being pitch specific wasn't the future for the company, um, and we wanted to broaden our scope. And um, having done that, um, we then thought, Look, "What are the tools to get this brand out there?" And you know, really be able to communicate the story. And crowdfunding was was definitely one of those tools. So um, we we took the plunge. Um, it is a pretty bruising experience. There's no no doubt about that, and um, it takes up a lot of time. Uh, but I'm really pleased that we did it. it for the first time, actually got people in the company, the, the staff, um, kind of better educated about the kind of equity raising um, uh, side of the business and how the whole company is structured. And and I think that has helped us develop the team as well. And so what you get from crowdfunding round is you know, buy-in from the whole team and the fundraising, whereas before it was kind of me and Samford going off doing our meetings and, and letting the team get on with it. On a day-to-day basis,
0: how is that? So, why do they include everyone? They include the. Is it is it a sort of colonic, uh, yeah, uh, process?
1: Well, because I think it's a big moment for the company. You're you're really putting yourself on show. You're you're opening the kimono, and how you you know tell your story, how you promote the company does start involving the whole you know the whole team. So whether it's marketing or sales, um, you know, we were getting a lot of our venues investing in. In the, in the campaign because they saw the difference that in the service we were providing versus what they had before. And uh, and they saw that there was a future for it. And so the crowdfunding is phenomenal exercise in, in getting everyone bought into the future of the company, whether that is staff or, you know, we did the exact same with consumers and got a great reaction from them, uh, the venues, as I mentioned. And so it becomes the story of the company at that time it's it's full on but it's it's really it's a really good process to go through and you know, i feel everyone that's done a crowdfund should get a medal for it and you know pleased that
0: we've done it now the final question on crowd crowdfunding i mean how do they happen upon a sort of valuation are you are you do you pitch for a Do you say okay we reckon it's x and they come back and it, and they think it's y or what what's the process in terms of valuing your company
1: yeah i think uh valuation has always been um one as a kind of Management team and board, we've we've to a degree looked to outsource to some of our um, trusted investors, and you know as I mentioned before, we've we've had people um, on on the shareholder you know group who have uh, great experience at this, and as an early stage company, you can't apply some of the the, the normal uh, equations that you can for a more mature um, enterprise, and so it is a bit of an art, not a, not a science. Um, we've always looked to our more experienced investors to uh, help us, you know, help guide us on, on valuation. Um, we feel that that's the right way to do it because it's a um, valuation they feel uh, is right for the company, but also is one that they'd like to invest in. Um, and so that's been uh, the, the main way that we've, we've we've looked at it. And we've also based it off, you know, the key milestones, the key successes of of the company. Um, whether it's filling various contracts that obviously builds the revenue, um, or, or 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 likewise, you know the the kind of overall story of the company, I think does help form the valuation as
0: well. Final question, Jamie: What advice would you give to to sort of younger entrepreneurs? We've got a lot of lo- younger listeners to this. What advice would you give to them um, who are kind of just starting out um, and sort of have a, a sort of uh, ge- a sort of an idea, a gem of an idea? Um, but don't really know what to do what advice would you give to them
1: yeah i think learn learn the industry as as much and as quickly as possible uh your 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 space um you know where your uh, products would fit within that industry what product market fit really looks like i think people often have a an initial concept of, of something and um you know they, they, they might know it's a, it's a good good idea, but they don't really get to the point of refining that to true product market fit. And I think how businesses scale uh, really efficiently and really well is by ach- achieving true product market fit. So just having an idea at the beginning, it's a bit of a rough diamond. You know, polish it as much as you can. Uh, understand your industry, understand what the path to growth is. Who are you selling to? You know What type of people are they? How are you going to do that? How easy will that be? and then and then you know that will help you understand um how to build that business, what your potential might be, you know where do you raise money from there? Uh, I remember hearing of um you know delivery salesmen that would go to ten restaurants in a day and sign them all up. you know that's a phenomenal uh rate of uh conversion from lead to contract. Not all companies will benefit from that sort of conversion rate, so understanding what that looks like as early as possible will really help you build the kind of uh, plan and, and build the story of the company.
0: Jamie Fowle, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Winevest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, Portfolio Manager at Waverton, and our guest this week, Jamie Foal. If you want any more information about PlayFinder, head to their website at playfinder.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then like it and subscribe to it and maybe tell your friends. The information provided during this podcast does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security.